Good evening. It's a pleasure to have you in our service this evening. Okay, now we are continuing in us in our exposition of the Epistle of Jude. This is, believe it or not, our seventh message. And we still have a number to go. Uh, Jude. So if you have your Bibles, I would like for you to turn to it at this time. We've come to verse 14 now in our ongoing exposition of this epistle. And we've entitled this particular series, The Task of the Church in the Midst of Apostasy. The Task of the Church in the Midst of Apostasy. Jude said that he was compelled by the Holy Spirit to write on this subject because of the rise and prevalence of false teachers and apostates who were infiltrating the church at that time, and he anticipated them doing through church history. And they were doing this through deceit, through masquerading as ministers of the gospel, when in actuality they were messengers and, messen and messengers and ministers of the devil himself. Jude is concerned that believers must be able to identify and detect such individuals. And he calls these individuals godless men, men without God. And as we've seen in the studies we've already done, he gives a detailed description of these individuals, the characteristics. And I don't think you'll find any greater uh, details and description of false teachers and people who manipulate the word of God than in the epistle of Jude. Jude wants us to know how to detect the counterfeit. And he spends a lot of time in this. And he presses home one vital principle. And that is that personal moral corruption, as well as God's judgment, automatically and definitely follows the willful corruption and abandonment of the truth that is contained in the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's the word of God. To put it simply, he says that if we go astray from the word of God, our life will lead into immorality and deceit, which is followed by the judgment of God. That's his major thesis in this epistle. And it's an important principle for us to realize today. We cannot get away, Jude is telling us, in mishandling the word of God, because God will judge us for doing that, because his word is his speaking directly to us, and he wants us to heed that word. So now we come to verses 14 and 16. That's what we'll be looking at this evening, verses 14 through 16. He brings his description of these godless men to a climax, as it were, by once more underlining the certainty of their judgment and giving an overall summary of their character. He sort of brings everything together that he's been saying in the past 13 verses or so. Now listen as I read from verse 14, and I'm reading this time from the NIV. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. 
And this is what he says. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone. We just finished singing about that. To judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way. And of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. That's the word of God. These are some powerful descriptions of individuals who do not defend the faith and do not contend for the faith once delivered to the saints by the way they live. Now sometimes you say this is only true of false teachers, but no, this is of individuals as well who do the same thing on a local level. We'll see that as we go along. And so Jude, for the second time now in this epistle, quotes from a source other than the word of God itself, that is, that we have in what we call the canon. He quotes a book that is not in the scriptures. It's the second time he did it. The first, if you remember, was a reference to the conflict Michael had with Satan over the body of Moses. He quotes that, but that's found nowhere in scripture. It's found outside in a book that they believe is called The Assumption of Moses. It's a book we call an apocryphal book. And it's called apocryphal because we're not sure of the author or the source of the book. We don't, we don't know where it came from. And so therefore, that's why it was called apocrypha. Not sure of the author, not sure of the source. Not everything, therefore, in such a book can be counted as being the word of God. It's not in our canon. Now, the things that are in the book, however, and are validated by Scripture, are still received as being genuine and accurate. Maybe not inspired by God, but accurate nonetheless. And Jude quotes from the book of Enoch. The book of Enoch. And so what Jude is saying then is that Enoch's prophecy concerning the judgment of apostates and false teachers is a genuine prophecy. It will happen. Now this does not necessarily mean that everything that Enoch wrote in his book is inspired, but this prophecy is true nonetheless. Now here are the important facts about this. This is the first prophecy given by a human being in the Bible. The first prophecy, of course, is in Genesis 3.15, but that prophecy is given by, by God himself concerning the coming of Jesus Christ to crush Satan. Enoch, though, the seventh from Adam, is the first human being to give a prophecy. And the first prophecy he gives has to do with the judgment of those who mishandle the word of God. That has a lot to say. Now that's thousands of years before they actually came on the scene. But Enoch prophesied it. Now, remember the scripture tells us that Enoch was a man who what? 
walked with God. In fact, he walked so closely with God that he never died. God simply took him to be with him. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, God says, Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him. You know, that's going to happen in the coming day to believers. One day we're going to be walking and the rapture will occur and we'll be no more. On earth, that is. Enoch, therefore, is a beautiful picture of the rapture, those who will be taken alive at the coming of Jesus Christ. It is possible that Jesus could come any moment. That's called the imminency of the return of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean he could come soon. It means that he could come at any moment. You see, Enoch is a symbol of picture of that for us. Now the importance of this issue is seen in the fact that this prophecy, again I said, is the first to be made by a man so early in human history. So this is important to God. I want you to note now what is involved in this prophecy on this coming judgment. Take a look at the word again. It says, he will come, the Lord will come with thousands of his holy ones. That's how the NIV translates it. With thousands of his holy ones. Now who are these holy ones? Because the idea of the context is that these holy ones are coming along with Jesus to execute judgment. Now who are these holy ones? Jesus himself identifies some of them in Matthew chapter 25 verse 31. Listen to the word of God or you can turn to it. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. This speaks of the, the second return of Christ at the end of the millennium, when Jesus Christ comes to put an end to all that is going on in the period we call the, uh, not the millennium, the tribulation tribulation period. He comes at the end of the tribulation. That's when he will execute judgment upon the Antichrist and all of those. But he will not come alone. Says he will come with angels, thousands upon thousands of angels. But that's not the only ones who will come with him. Because Paul identifies another group who makes up the holy ones. Listen to Paul speaking Colossians chapter 3 verse 4. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now this appearance has to do our, with our coming with him at the end of the tribulation period. And so what Jude is telling us that when Jesus Christ comes back to execute judgment upon those who mishandle the word of God, not only angels will come, but so will those who have been taken up in the rapture, you and me. The Bible tells us that the saints will do what? Judge angels even. We'll be part of this event. When those who mishandle the word of God 
are judged along with all of the other ungodly individuals who are alive. So it appears then that both angels and believers in Christ will accompany Christ when he comes to judge everyone and especially to convict the ungodly of their ungodly deeds. And one of the ungodly deeds that Jude is referring to is the mishandling of the word of God. This is serious business, the way we handle the word of God. It's serious business. But secondly, notice the clarity of the purpose of Christ's coming. The text says, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones, notice now, to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly, to judge and to convict the ungodly. That's the specific purpose. Paul talks about this, and he adds to it. This is what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Hear the word of God. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you. He's speaking to the Thessalonians now because you believed our testimony to you. So he's saying, he's assuring those who place faith in Jesus Christ that when Jesus Christ comes in his glory, we will come with him. We will experience his glory, but a part of that glory has to do with judging the ungodly. I want you to understand that because sometimes we think, and when we talk about God's glory, all we think is floating on a cloud, playing a harp all day and all that kind of a thing. No. It has to do with executing judgment upon the ungodly. That's how it begins. Powerful truth here that we need to understand. Now, two things are certain in this text. First, the ungodly will be judged. And secondly, those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior will be glorified. Those two things are certain. The wicked, the ungodly will be judged, but those who place faith in Jesus Christ will be glorified. That's the truth here. Wonderful truth here. But in Jude now, the emphasis is upon the first aspect because he's describing the character, the actions, and the final outcome of those who distort and corrupt the word of God. I want to emphasize again the importance of handling the word of God accurately and correctly. That's what Jude is doing. But notice thirdly in this passage, the emphasis Enoch places upon the nature of such apostates and their behavior whom Jude calls godless men. This is what he says now, notice now. To convict all the ungodly of the ungodly acts that they have done in the ungodly way, and of all the harsh words 
ungodly sinners have spoken against them. He's talking rather against him about Jesus Christ. In other words, the apostates and false teachers that sneak unawares into local churches that Jude is writing about here are totally, absolutely, and completely ungodly, although they come in the name of God and of Jesus Christ. Neither their character, their actions, or attitudes reflect in any way the character of God or the truthfulness of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Powerful words here. Now, look at your text again. Because Jude summarizes his description of these religious leaders in verse 16. And he gives us six of their traits. Five, rather. Five traits here. First, he says, these men are grumblers and murmurers. Now, this harks back to the time that the children of Israel were delivered from the land of Egypt. But not only believers went. But some unbelievers, some pagans went along, and these grumbled in the wilderness. And that has been true at all, even in, the, even in the church, where we have a mixture of the true and the false. And most of the times, those who grumble are those who don't really believe, although they claim to be believers. These men are grumblers and murmurers. They murmur, they, they mumble, and they grumble against God. These false teachers do the same thing, but they do it in a way that will not show that they are really against him. They, grimble, they grumble against the truth of God. They don't want to believe everything. Some of that is written for old time. It's not for today. In fact, I heard, I've told you before, about a leading preacher who said that. This stuff is ancient. We need some new revelation. Let me see. They want to do things their way. And so we go about establishing the church and how we go about running the church today according to our, our own handbook and not this handbook. That's why in most cases we are in the mess we are in. Because we leave the faith that was once for all Delivered to the saints. Do you know we, we could give you heart trouble right now? We could cause you to feel really down because we could go through everything just about that we run church, we say, and we can show you that is nowhere found in the Word of God. But most of the things we're doing, the way we do it. But it's so entrenched, so entrenched. It's so difficult to get the people to turn away. For instance, let me give you one review before. Just to say we're not going to have the morning service at 11 o'clock. Some people really believe that that's in the Bible. That's true. 11 o'clock. And if you don't have the AM service at 11 o'clock, you're going against Scripture. We could, go, we could go on and on, but I've mentioned some of these things before. But what I'm saying here is, these people wanted to do things their way. And God called them ungodly because they were leaving his way and his word. 
They grumbled. They murmured. But secondly, they're fault finders. Look at the text. Now, in the, in the Greek, this word fault finders means to blame others for one's state or condition. In other words, you don't take the blame for what you are or what you're experiencing yourself. You blame others. You're passing. That's, of course, what psychology does today. Psychologists of the day, for the most part, I'm talking about secular colleges, uh, uh, counselors, do not cause the individual to accept blame for what they're doing. For the most cases, they talk about your mama, your daddy, or your grandpapa, or even your great, great, great grand. They talk about generational curses that you're under. Trying to get away from personal responsibility. That's what these people did. They're fault finders to show dissatisfaction for their lot in life. This was true of those that Jude used as examples of apostates. Israel blamed God for their situation in the wilderness, for instance. He said to Moses, why did you bring us out of here? We want all the leeks and the, what, the uh, garlic. Now probably when they were back there, they didn't want that. You see? And so they blame God. The fallen angels were dissatisfied with their position and location, their home. So they rebelled against God and they left their abode, their boundaries. Cain was dissatisfied with God's prescribed sacrifice. And so he replaced it with his own. Balaam was dissatisfied with what he was getting for salary as a prophet. He wanted to get more money. He's only driving with a little donkey. He probably won one stallion or something like that. You know, he... <laughs> he was dissatisfied. And so he manipulated the people of God to satisfy his greed and to get more money. Korah was dissatisfied with God's appointed leadership. And so he rebelled and tried to usurp their position himself. And in each case, God met their rebellion and dissatisfaction with severe judgment. And Judah says he will continue to do that if we rebel against what God himself has set up. But thirdly, Jude also says they follow their own evil desires or lusts. Notice, they follow their own evil desires or lusts. Now, literally, the Greek reads, they habitually go after their own lusts. They habitually go after their own desires. It's an ongoing, continual thing, way of life. They are obsessed with satisfying their own desires. They live for self-satisfaction, Jude is saying. And so he goes on. He says, this causes, fourthly, them to boast about themselves. They uplift themselves. They glorify themselves. They talk about their great achievements. They talk about their education. They talk about their great vision. They talk about themselves. Another version says they speak arrogantly about themselves. 
They're always boasting about what they're doing for God, what their ministry is accomplishing for people and for God. And then to trick the unwary, they would go on to say, but we cannot continue in this ministry without your financial help. To boast about the great things they're doing. But we can't do it unless you give me some money. All of a sudden, you are the ones who are enabling the ministry, not God. It's amazing how they get away with this. And we are so duped into sending our money to individuals like that. They do exactly what Jude say, says they do. And so fifth, notice what it says now. And flatter others to their own advantage. Now in Nassau, we have a term for this. You know what it is? Sucking up. Sucking up. If they know somebody could give them something, profit for them, boy, they will be so nice to them. They'll go out of their way to do anything for them. They'll take the position even if they don't believe it's right. And they do it in discreet ways. They make it sound as though, hey, this person is so good, so nice, so gracious. And we build them up. But all they're trying to do is get close so they can get something for themselves. You remember one of David's sons did that? Remember when he tried to get the throne? David would bring a decree, a judgment. His son will be outside the door waiting. Say, uh-uh. He says, you've got to pay this. You could cut that in half. Or you don't have to do it at all. You're trying to gain the favor of the people so he could take over. People do that today. Unfortunately, leaders do that as well as followers. They misuse, misquote, and distort the word of God so it pleases the people to whom they're ministering. Paul says, they tickle the ears of the hearers. The only reason for being in the ministry is to get money for their own selfish purposes. The only reason for being friendly with someone is because they want the favors they can give. These individuals live in the biggest homes, drive the fanciest cars, eat in the most expensive restaurants, all with the tithes and offerings and love gifts of those that they have titillated and flattered with words that promise much but deliver little or nothing. Is that happening today? You bet your life it is. And Enoch, the seven from Adam, prophesied it. And Jude wants us to be on the alert. He says these individuals are not upholding or defending the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And if we allow them to go on doing it, neither are we. That's his point. We are passively denying the faith. Jude then exhorts believers to go to the only source that can provide protection 
and preservations from such godly men. Notice what he says in verse 17. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. So what is he doing now? He's directing them where? To the word of God. The apostles were the ones who wrote the word. You remember in Acts chapter 2, he says that the early church members, what? They were faithful. They were steadfast. They devoted to what? The apostles' teaching. Talking about the word of God. So what is Jude saying that we need to do if we're going to be able to protect ourselves from these false teachers? Get to the word. Listen to the apostles. Notice. Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. It's coming. They, they, they knew. All we have to do is study the word. Don't say, boy, I'm surprised at this. If you're surprised about what's going on, you don't know the word of God. Simple as that. Verse 18. They said to you, the apostles, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Notice, their own ungodly desires. And you can be sure when you get all of this teaching today about Jesus Christ who's a rich man and if he's here, he'll be driving around in a Lexus and he'd be, he'd be wearing tailor-made clothes, all of that stuff. This is who he's talking about. Right here. They follow their own ungodly desires. Verse 19. These are the men who divide you. Who follow their mere natural instincts. Who follow their mere natural instincts. Now this is an interesting word here, natural instincts. It talks about animals who are in heat. And when they're in heat, nothing can stop them. They want what they want, and they're going to get what they want, regardless of what it takes. That's, what he's That's how false teachers go after you and me to get what they want. Jude describes them in that, this is the word of God. I didn't write this last night. Who follow mere natural instincts. Now notice this. And do not have the spirit. And what does Paul say about that? If you do not have the spirit, you do not belong to Jesus Christ. He's very clear, outright. These people are not saved. They deny the Savior who bought them by the way they live, no matter what they say. They would say Jesus died to deliver me. But by the life they deny their belief. Remember the teachings of the apostles. In other words, Jude is telling us, God is telling us, look to the word. Didn't Paul say the same thing when he left the Ephesian elders on the beach? He said, you might not see me anymore. The false teachers are coming from within you. And then what did he say? He says, I commend you to the word of God. I'm not here, but the word is. Look to the word. It tells us what we need to know about these kinds of religious 
charlatans. They are scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. Men who cause divisions and strife among you, Jude says. Men who simply follow the instincts of the lower nature. All of the apostles spoke about this. Peter, Paul, John. All of them spoke and warned us about this. So we have no reason to be in the dark. We should be able to tell immediately who is a true teacher and preacher of the word just by listening to them if you know the Bible. If you don't, you'll get taken in. Because they're saying what you want to hear, not what God wants you to hear. And so believers have long and well been informed of the character and activities of such individuals. The apostles were faithful in warning us. We need to remember the teachings. We've seen that throughout these messages. Remember. I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Remember, remember, remember. But you can only remember that which you've experienced before. You cannot remember anything in the Word if you've never read it. You say, the Holy Spirit will bring it to me. Will he? I'll never forget an illustration I heard of this thing that, you know, we don't need to read the Bible. The Holy Spirit can bring the truth to you. You know, there are some people who have the idea, for instance, to preach. You don't choose a preacher. You just come and sit down, and the Holy Spirit will touch somebody to preach. So one time a preacher came in who was known for his preaching, and he sat down in this meeting. Sat there for a whole hour and a half, nobody got up. So finally they got up and says, why didn't you get up to preach? You're a famous preacher. He says, now wait a minute. If you believe it was the Holy Spirit who prompts people, just because I'm a famous preacher, don't mean that the Holy Spirit wants me to preach there. Then he said something. He said, you can take a bucket, and no matter how big that bucket is, and you drop that into a well, and if there's no water in the well, no matter how many times you drop it in the well, you'll never come up with water. What was he saying? If you ain't got nothing in you, nothing coming out. You gotta read the Bible. You gotta study the Bible. Why can't you talk to people about Jesus Christ when you sit down with them? Because you have nothing to draw from. Your well is empty. And we have it all here. Finally, as I said, Jude tops all of this off by saying these are people who do not have the Spirit. This means that they are unsaved and unregenerate because Paul says in Romans 8, 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. No matter how much he says he does. Jude is saying what Christ himself said. Not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. In other words, it's not just one's words or profession that makes him or her a true believer or minister of the gospel. It is not even so if such people do great works and cast out demons. What really matters is the quality of their lives. 
and whether the ministry practice or produces fruit that lasts. Not just big crowds coming up right now, and next week, next Monday, gone. Talking about fruit that lasts, good fruit. And most important of all, is their life and ministry in keeping with the word of God, the faith, once for all, delivered to the saints. That's Jude's burden. And so again, that's why it's so vitally important for us to know the word of God in these days in which we live. There's such a profusion of false teachers and bombardment of false teaching now that without the proper knowledge of the word of God, even the genuine child of God could be deceived, and they are being deceived. This epistle of Jude was written specifically to safeguard us from false teachers and false teachings, from apostates who twist the word of God for their own personal profit, and they abandon the truth for their own distorted and selfishly distorted dreams dreams and visions that they make up themselves. And so let me ask you a question. How are you equipped to detect these godless men and women in the church? When you listen to them over the TV or radio, whatever, do you know enough of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints to defend and contend for it? against those who seek to distort and corrupt the word of God for their own personal. Do you have that ability to discern truth from error because you have handled the word of God? You've had the practice according to the right of Hebrews? That is Jude's purpose for writing this epistle. And so I say to you again, and I know to some of you I sound like a broken record, but I ain't broke yet. Study the Word of God. If you don't have a method of studying, find one. Come to Teleos. We're there. You have other men here who can teach you how to study the Word of God. Read it. Thank you. <laughs> Read it and study it again and again and again. God help us. Beloved, to be diligent studies of his word so that we may be true contenders for the faith. Now Jude has taken all of this time to describe the characteristics of those who distort the truth. Next time we're going to look at the specific things Jude tells us we are to do to effectively contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We're going to look at those items in detail as well to see what Jude tells us we need to do if we're going to be able to be faithful contenders of the truth that is once for all delivered to the saints. So until next time, as always, Sila, surely looking at the watch. What are you looking at? Just seeing the dairy. I could go look longer. No, I was going to ask you, though, whether or not you have any questions or comments at all before we go. Anyone? <coughs> Beloved, this is important stuff. It really is. Knowing the word and being able to detect false teachings today. It really is important. Any questions? Anton. How, like, how much 
Moses and you know, it's writing by Enoch. Right. Well, I think we need enough to be informed about what they are. You know, I've read probably portions of most of them, but not all of them. Some of I, some of them I have. But I think the emphasis on if we know the truth sufficiently, we'll be able to determine the error. You see, but knowing that means we might have to read uh, what the teachers are teaching. For instance, believe it or not, you know somebody's people I tell you don't listen to? I listen to. Because I want to be sure that when I quote them, I'm quoting what I hear. You see, what they understand. Any other questions? Okay, let's stand for our closing prayer. Father, we thank you again for your promise that your word will not return to you void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which you send it forth this evening. Your word is quick. It's alive. It produces life and light. We pray, our Father, that as your people, you may realize that this is the word that we need to grow and to get to know you better. So give us that strong yearning, Father, that hunger for the Word of God, so that we might diligently study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of God. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you, and the Lord bless you.